Hello, everybody. It's Timmy Gibson. Welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. Today, I'm getting ready to call Shay. It's someone that I met several years ago, and she's a life coach. She's here in Kansas City. Uh, I think she's in a relationship now, but was single for a while. And so um, I'm going to call her right now, and we're going to talk to her a little bit. Ask her some questions. And I, there we go. Hello. Shay. Hey. Hey. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you yeah. for asking. Well, welcome to the Timmy Gibson Show. Glad you're on today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm totally honored. Yeah, well, th um, thank you. <laughs> well, so I've been interviewing some of my friends and acquaintances on a, a, a couple topics, I mean, primarily. And so before we get started, though, why don't you tell all the listeners a little bit about you, what you do, kind of your little bit of a backstory? Sure. So... I am Shay Sparks. I am Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International. I am a certified fearless living coach, trainer, co-founder of the Hashtag Firestarters Book Project, and the host of the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am single. I have been single for, gosh, I don't even know, many years in the double digits. <laughs> and um, I'm happy how i am and positive and energetic and excited about life awesome so i right before you i, I called you i told everybody that 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 you were single but i thought that you might have been in a relationship and so this is what we're talking about today so <laughs> last time we talked shay i thought you had a boyfriend what what yeah. happened i don't yeah. mean like what happened specifically but i just mean you know like what <laughs> like what, what no you were like no really what happened no like really what happened what's his name no jesus <laughs> to i'm totally kidding hey things happen this is totally a uh, part of of being single and dating so yeah what 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 changed what happened um yeah so i have no problem with sharing what happened um you know we were both uh, on different paths and um it, it was going really well and then it was like okay life set in um, the reality set in of, okay, where we're headed at this stage in our, our lives, you're kind of like, are you willing to merge two lifestyles that are completely different? Um, and it was apparent that we needed to have that conversation of where are we going? Where is this headed? Right. And um, he ha was about to get full custody of his, his daughter. And he had a just bought a a, a a home with only well, there was no room for me and and i just thought okay so and he had bought that home before we had ever met so i get it he was on a different path oh, and then sure. i come along and i'm like okay long term i don't see this working i don't see how this can work because i'm like ready to go and travel and you know i do all these different things so realistically, I don't think this is going to mesh. So instead of having that conversation, like I was literally getting ready to have that conversation and he ghosted me. Oh, wow. How long had you guys <laughs> been seeing each other? <laughs> like almost three months. Wow. 
Three. Okay, so we, I've talked about this on my show before about what is ghosting. You know, if something yeah. fizzles, like if you're chatting with someone on, and I'm curious, I'm I'm saying this, and also with a question. So for me, if I'm chatting with someone online, and we've never met, or maybe we've met for coffee, whatever, it's like very casual. I don't feel like not talking to them any, anymore is really ghosting. It's more, it just kind of fizzled away. But if I, I've I, if I've gone on dates, and if, especially if mm-hmm. we've been intimate. I owe you not a text, but a phone call at the bare minimum. I I completely agree with you. And I'm on the same page. Like, you know, it fizzles out after a while of conversation. It's like, eh, if we haven't met, then we don't really have an investment. But, you know, we had been spending three months together. We were together, uh, you know, uh, several times a week. We talked every day. You know, it was like, okay, and none of this. Wow kind of came up and so i was like um and then okay. just literally nothing just just nothing yeah and wow um, <laughs> and i thought you know thank you for showing me who you are so you escaped a bullet i think oh for sure absolutely for sure but at the same time i was literally like thank you thank you because i actually feel like in relationships we grow and we it's an opportunity to learn things about ourselves oh my yeah oh Yes, yes 100 percent. Right? Yeah, right. And so I guess uh, I learned that, and I guess I know I learned that I really needed to be vocal about what it is I was looking for and needed in a relationship in the beginning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I just said this, so I've I've been recording <laughs> uh, several of these interviews and. And I'll be posting them um, over the next couple of weeks just because I'm going to be out of town. And I didn't want to make, I wanted to make sure I had a good podcast, even though I was out of town. And if I didn't have good internet, I'm like, you know what? Because I have been pretty much every, uh, I do a one, a, one a week typically. Well, mm-hmm. definitely do one a week, but then I'll do mm-hmm. some offshoot stuff. And uh, my co host, Lance Strickland, uh, he and I actually meet, you know, every Monday and record the podcast and then upload it. And, uh, since I'm going to be out of town, he's going to be out of town. I thought, you know what, we should probably do some pre-recorded ones. And, and so, uh, it's interesting that this, this little theme has come up about how much we learn or have the opportunity to learn, right? Not everybody learns, I guess, but have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to learn and to grow, uh, through dating. And I know marriage, you know, I was married for 25 years and I learned a lot. I grew a lot. I had a, I had a wonderful 25 year marriage and, you know, and it was over. Um, and now as a single guy, it's, it's, it's so different, but man, I'll tell you what I'm learning is about myself. It, it's just an interesting journey. Like I'm really, yeah. really, really, really growing or at least I sure hope I am, mm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel that. like I'm growing. And, mm. uh, so that's just cool that you said that because I've, I've been finding that to be true in my own life that each interaction that I have with different women, it just creates an opportunity for me to, to look within and to kind of just find myself even more. I mean, I feel like I've over the two years, I feel like I've come to a real good place. Uh, but I, I think learning is probably a lifelong deal. Mm, Absolutely. And And if I may jump in with a comment there. Yeah. So, I love what you said about, you know, you're really learning with every relationship with a woman, 
but I want to go even a little bit further and say it's every interaction. Mm, yeah. um, for me, I learned that, um, you know, like I said, I've been single for, gosh, I think it's, I think it's literally right at about 10 years now. So, so were you married um, before? And, and, and I say single as in like long-term relationship. I mean, yes, I've had the little three months here and there. Sure. Um, but most of the time I don't get past the first date. So no, I was not married before I was in a long-term relationship for 12 years and it was, he was abusive. Oh, wow. And and so I got out, I really started to heal, like immediately dove into healing. And so for me, every interaction that I have with a, a, a man gives me an opportunity to grow or gives me an opportunity, like literally it pops up like, oh, I didn't realize that about myself. Like I needed to learn that. And whether they're single or not, because then I realized, wow, like I am attracting all of these amazing men into my life. And yes, they might be married. And yet one day I'm going to attract an amazing single man. So, right. so I'm like, it's a great that it's, so something in me must have really shifted because I learned way back when, uh, you know, 13 years ago, I guess, is when I got out of that relationship. And then I jumped into another relationship right away with a person that I had dated before him. And um, and that was for two years. And that fizzled out. Both of them were alcoholics, by the way. Hmm. And and so. <laughs> right. Jay. I, all right. I learned that I was emotionally unavailable. You know what? Don't forget where you're going with this. I can't tell you how much this uh, pleases my soul to hear you mm. say something like this. I, I I find it very disconcerting when I talk to men or women. For whatever reason, it seems like I talk to more women. I mean, of course, in the dating world, I do. But um, yeah. it, when I hear someone say, yeah, he was just a narcissist, like all five of my husbands were all narcissists. And, <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. really? And you're like, you're just like a fucking mm. perfect person the perfect right. girl the perfect partner like oh that i and you can tell even in my voice right now like it agitates me because yeah. that's not honest and i've never heard anyone ever get you know fired from a job where they said yeah you know what i wasn't meeting the sales quota i was lazy and the boss gave me lots of grace and I took advantage of it. Like you never hear people say that. Mm. They're always like, my boss was shitty. He didn't do yeah. this and he didn't allow me to spread my wings and he didn't pay enough and blah, 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 blah. It's like, wow, can't anyone be really honest and, and can anyone be self-aware and, and look at themselves right. and go, you know what? Right. I'm, I, I realized I was selfish. I realized I was yes. emotionally immature yes. or emotionally unavailable, or I realized this. Gosh, so Shay, seriously, I, I can't even tell you how much this means to me to, to hear this, to have finally somebody <laughs> acknowledge and not here. So here's something funny. I've had people acknowledge their part. Like, yeah, I learned that I'm too accommodating or I'm too nice or I'm yeah. too forgiving or I'm too. And I'm like, so you're fucking perfect. That's what you're, you're, yeah. you're too loving, too kind. You were too, you gave them too much sex. You gave them too many blowjobs. You gave them too, like, really? Okay. Right. Anyway. No, I think, well, you know, that's such a great point because the, 
most of the uh, most times when we're in a relationship and we get out, we're always really good at pointing the other pointing the finger right at the right. other person. And then, you know, I, I always love that saying of and then you have, you know, three more pointing back at you. Right. <laughs> right. Your thumb, your thumbs pointing up, but, you know, the yeah, other three right. are pointing back at you. So I'm like, OK, what who was I and what do I need to learn? Literally in the very beginning, like, OK, why was this so easy to be in this relationship? Who am I? what what did i do um how how can i own my shit and what i did and i was a bully i was abused as a kid i had a lot of anger issues depression i was a teenage alcoholic blah 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 depression low self-worth all the things and i was a bully at one point in my life so of course i would be a bully because hurt people hurt people right so i was with an abusive relationship that was familiar to me right and I totally 100% get that. And, and, you know, thank God I'm away from that. And I'm able to be like, I just said something really cruel to you. And I am so sorry that I did not mean that I was channeling, you know, that anger, per, that old anger inside of me. And that is not who I want to be in this relationship. So I'm sorry. I'm really good at saying that. And I think it takes, like you said a little bit ago, a very self-aware person to have the strength and the courage to be able to say that. Yeah. And I don't think that we can ever fully, um, be in a, like a real happy, healthy relationship until you can really own your shit and really recognize where you are are at fault and not like I'm too nice. I'm too forgiving. I don't mean that those, those kinds of faults, those, those are real and I get it. And those can be, uh, a problem for sure, but to be able to really, really realize, you know, I don't think I've ever in my life heard anybody go, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm a narcissist and I'm trying to work on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but they've yeah. but they've been in relationship with a the narcissist. <laughs> they've yeah. had many relationships and encounters with narcissistic people, but they right. themselves, of course, are not narcissistic. Right. Well, you know, during my self-discovery, self-healing journey, I really got clear on you attract who you are. So oh. I, right. So I was like, okay, so I see that my family is emotionally unavailable. My guy was two guys were emotionally unavailable. And then all of a sudden it was like, um, hit me on over the head with a, a brick wall. Like, oh my God, I'm emotionally unavailable. How did that <laughs> even happen? <laughs> what me? And then it's like, oh, right. Like I'm really good at having conversations in my head. And I was horrible at being vulnerable and sharing my feelings and my thoughts and what was going on with me. Horrible at that. You know, Shay, what, what do you think that it takes to really recognize? Because I've had people actually say, oh, I'm self-aware. And I'm thinking, no, you're not like, you're not self-aware. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm-hmm. I wonder what it takes to really, really get to that place where you can look in the mirror and you can see the blemishes and the burger, the boogers and the, like, you can really yeah. see it, you know, yeah. where you're, where you're not just like blaming what 
other people are seeing. You know what I mean? Like every breakup, it was the other person. Every broken friendship was the other person. Every failed anything was always the other person. Like that's what seems to be the norm. So Shay, as as a coach, how, Mm -hmm. how can we really look in the mirror and discover the imperfections and the blemishes Yeah, what a great question. Um, a couple of things come to mind. So I would say be willing. Be, be willing to see it. Right. Um, be willing to be um to to sit with it and be okay with it and not beat yourself up about it. Like I could have went like, God, I'm such a horrible person. I can't believe I I can't believe I was I can't believe I did that. Oh, sure. You know, sure. and I could I could do that a million times over in 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 uh, relationships, but really it's about, okay, so can I see myself with, with compassion and gentleness? And yet, can I also be able to be vulnerable? So, and and practice it. So it's about being willing to being able to acknowledge it and being able to practice it. And that's all, all the things from compassion to being vulnerable and to sitting in it. Because really, like you said, nobody's perfect and we all want to come across as perfect, especially on dating sites, right? It's sure. like, oh, yeah, I'm this and that. And I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll put a picture of there with no makeup on. Yeah. Like, this is me. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'll look like in the morning. <laughs> like, and this is like, <laughs> like, it's just one of the pictures. So it's like, not like I'm trying to like point it out, but because I don't need to point it out. Like, that's just just another look of what I have. Um, because you know, we're not, we're on our first date, we're bringing the 110% of ourselves. Right. Right. And, and by the, you know, the three month mark, you're like, uh, what are we doing? (laughs) Right. You know, if you're, if you're on that path, you might not be on that path. You might be like, yeah, I'm good where I'm at. But for me, it was, uh, I kind of went off subject, but for me, it was really about helping myself and being able to, um, guide my clients to really be vulnerable and you know be okay about owning their shit i mean there's something so freedom freeing about saying yeah i'm flawed yeah and i'm working on it yeah there really is i know i know just in my my personal journey i'll be honest i think for me it's it's selfishness maybe is what's the driving force for me is that i want to so bad be the best version of myself so that I can be more attractive to the world. So, I mean, if I'm honest, it, 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 it probably comes from a selfish place though. Me at my best is better. <laughs> In other words, you know, I'm more kind, I'm more loving, I'm more like whatever is good. I want to, I really want to be the best version of myself so that I can be the most attractive so that I can, you know, get the most attractive person. I'm not just talking physically, but just so that I can be a high caliber man attracting a high caliber woman that's one of the driving forces for me uh, just personally being able to to look in the mirror and go ah i do have some narcissistic traits you know i mean there are some you know because i think narcissism at least personally what i've studied and researched is it's it's kind of like a little bit of a scale i mean unless you're talking about full-on narcissistic personality Mm -hmm. disorder that's that's a whole nother beast i think because those people aren't 
aren't even aware and they have no empathy and they're just, they're off the charts, the scale where I mm-hmm. think, I think I, I can only speak for myself, but I mean, I think most people are somewhere on the spectrum of narcissistic because, um, you know, we, I, we look, when we look in the mirror, we see ourselves. I mean, it's like, you know, we're with ourselves. We care about ourselves. We feed ourselves. Um, but anyway, I, I think when I really came to terms with, you know, where am I at on the narcissistic scale? And I remember talking to my counselor about it. And of course he laughed and he mm-hmm. said, Timmy, <laughs> you're clearly not a narcissist. A narcissist would never uh, ask totally. their therapist exactly. to, to help them, you know, right. whatever. He said, yeah, maybe egotistical, maybe self-inflated. He said, of course, you know, we can work on those things. He said, but, um, you know, narcissism is, 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 you know, and he was telling me about how like full-blown narcissism. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, like I don't feel right. like I'm that. But again, being able to recognize that there are some traits there and, and they're not pretty. And how can I recognize those and better myself so that I don't live from a place from those traits, you know? You know, you said something earlier and I'm trying to recall what it was. You said something about your, you're concerned about this. You don't want to come across as being selfish. Yeah. Okay. So again, it's attract what you put out there. So you don't want to come across as selfish. So guess what? You're going to come across as selfish. Right. So instead of focusing on the selfish, how can you be selfless? Yeah. That's good. See, you know, I can hear your coach coming out because I, <laughs> well, when I coach people on like weight stuff, I say, don't, uh, don't focus on, I don't want to be fat. Right. Focus on healthy and thin and trim and full, you know, like focus yeah, on the yeah. positive aspect rather That's, than I don't mm-hmm. want to be fat or I don't want to be sick or I don't want to be sad. No, focus on happiness, focus on health, focus on activity. <laughs> so yeah, good. Right. That's good. Yeah. And, you know, I love that your therapist said about the narcissist, because I think, well, first of all, a narcissist wouldn't be going to therapy. Second of all, (laughs) (laughs) right. True. A a narcissist wouldn't ask what's wrong with me. A narcissist asks what's wrong with all the people around me. Right. And um, it's just funny because I think it's it's not I don't think we're. You know, narcissist is such a, a buzzword that gets thrown around so much. And believe me, there are plenty of people who are. But I also think there's plenty of people who are extremely selfish and self-absorbed yeah. and not willing to to shift. And so with you, I, I don't see that at all. I mean, I've known you for a couple of years before. I mean, when you were married and now, and I've always seen you as someone who's self-aware to be able to to shift and to apologize or to go hey and own your shit you know we go back to owning your shit you just go back to oh that was my you know and you know we can go into a whole nother conversation about our inner child from trauma from childhood you know that was that speaking not me right right now speaking Right. right yeah no that i well thank you very much i appreciate that and that's been part of the journey for me is is when i really got into the you going into my childhood and, and, and not that I had a bad childhood. I was, you know, I was never abused and, or anything like that. I was, I was loved and I was cared for, but right. I've had three dads by the time I was seven. I mean, there's a story mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, 
I had to go back into that, that first seven years of my life and unpack a few things Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of discover like, why am I like this? I I've, I've been really fascinated by it. I did a, I listened to a, was it a documentary or I watched something the other day and it was this whole study on just like if, if when I was born, had I been adopted by a family in the Hamptons? Well, Mm -hmm. I would be a totally different person than if when I was, if I'd have been adopted and taken into the hood. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally I'm the same flesh and blood, same DNA guy. But if you put me in an environment when I was born, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a certain way. And so when people say, well, this is my decision, I make this choice. Like, well, (laughs) uh, not really. I mean, yes, ish, but you're a product of your environment and especially yeah. your early, your early environment. Um, yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you think about that? Am, do you agree with that or? Absolutely. There is um, this book. So I was just on a, um, a month long tour and there's this book. I'm looking it up. It's with Oprah is the co-author. And so is uh, Dr. Bruce Perry. And it's called what happened to you? Um, rather than asking what's wrong with me, especially as, um, you know, teachers and kids in who are quote unquote deemed as ADHD or ADD, and you're looking at the kid going, what's wrong with them? The question is to ask what's wrong, what happened to them? So the question to ask yourself is what happened to you? And they give example after example where that particular thing that you just described happened. So one person was adopted and in a caring, loving environment, and the other person was adopted in a neglected, uh, abusive environment. Even though they have the same DNA, we be- you're right, we become the byproduct of the environment we're in. We also become the byproduct of the relationships that we have. Uh. Which is just mind-blowing to think about that one quote, uh, and I can't remember who said it. Um, it is, uh, we are the five people that we are surround ourselves with. Right, right. So um, if you think about that, like if you want to be more self-aware, then maybe hang out with more self-aware people. Oh, the, the, Shay, that's, there. it's a fact in my own personal life I've seen who I'm in friendship or relationship with really impacts me. And when I've chosen better friends, let's just say, uh, I've become a better person. (laughs) I mean, I I, like, I, I, my friends right now that I have in my life are some of the best people. Some of the, just, Mm. I mean, just the best they're gracious, they're, they're go-getters, they're ambitious, they're kind, they're forgiving, they're self-aware, they're committed to growth. And it has, oh, I can't even tell you, you know, I've pretty it's much been a self-motivator. A oh, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's life-altering. Yeah. It, it, like literally, like I've told people this, I've said, listen, if you're, if you want your life to change, 
well, change. I mean, of course, then if you want your life to change, then change. Change what you're reading, change what you're listening mm -hmm. to, change what you're watching, change who you have conversations with and who you hang out with. Like mm -hmm. if you want to change, then something has to change. You can't just be in an environment. You can't be in a pool in the pool and go, I, I want to be dry. You got to get out of the pool. Like you're never going to get dry. You got to get out of that pool and get into the, you know, whatever. I think it's the the same thing when it comes to our friendships and our relationships and those closest mm -hmm. to us. I mean, some of those things you can't control, right? I mean, who you work with and all that, which to me makes it even more critically important who you choose to hang yes. out with. Yes. Which then comes boundaries into play, you know, and, and boundaries is a whole nother subject that you can, we could, you know, have another episode on, right. but you know, really about being able to like, okay, yes, you have to be around this person because you work with them. So what is it that you're willing, who are you willing to be at, when you're around them? And what are you willing to accept from them? Yeah. When you think of, um, uh, like, let's just say there are people listening to this and they're like, yeah, man, you know, I'm, um, whether single or married doesn't really matter, but they are running into issues and mm -hmm. they're becoming maybe aware, like, you know what? Like there's a common denominator here <laughs> and it's me. Mm -hmm. What, what would you coach that person? Step one, like, what would you say if someone sat down in your, in your office and said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing I have some rough spots. What would be your advice to begin that journey of becoming your best self? Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, I'm, I'm a huge fan of journaling. And so I would start with that question. Like, what are your rough spots? Um, okay, great. So list them all out. Right. And let's say there's, um, I don't know, maybe they have written down three of them and the rough spots could be uh, what they're not getting. Right. They're not, they're in a relationship. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, uh, I would say if they're either in a relationship or single, either way, I, I would say both, but if it's a different prescription, then maybe give a prescription for the single person and then a prescription for the, the person in a relationship. Okay. So the single person, <clears throat> that's a really great one. So what I like to do is have them write down the worst traits in their relationship. So with the other person, now you're going to look at them, point the finger, right? And say, okay. what was their worst traits? And write that down, make a list. And then ask yourself, how do those show up? How do I show up with those traits? Ooh. Because like you, we just said, you attract who you are. So we're um, a reflection of what we're looking at. So if we're in a relationship with someone and they are, like you said uh, earlier about the narcissist, the selfishness. So if all I see is how selfish they are, then you have to ask, okay, so how selfish am I? Hmm. And then you can go a little bit further and say, okay, when did selfish, when did I learn? What age did I learn? What ex uh, experience happened to me that I learned selfish was not a good thing? Yeah. And then you can go into like really 
healing that part of our past, that part of our, again, it could be childhood. It could be, you know, midlife. It could be anything. It could be, you know, oh, it was just yesterday. Uh, just yesterday I figured out, you know what I mean? It could be anything, but it's really about kind of reflecting back, having the, the capability to be introspective and reflect back on what's happened. Again, it goes back to that, what's happened to us rather than the, um, pointing the fingers at the other person. Yeah. See, I like that. I like that idea of, because I think that I like that because it's, it's easy to put the list together of what the other person was, where they were at fault. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. But what right. I like about it is that spin It's like, no, that's easy. Right. Do that list. Cause you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll write that list quick. Quick. But, but yeah. after that list is written, then ask, how did I show up in that relationship yeah. with those, those particular traits too? I yeah. like that. That's good. And then you can go and go any, even further and then say, okay, so are you willing to forgive that person from your past? Like not the relationship, but the like deep past, whether, you know, probably your childhood, are you willing to forgive that person for not allowing you to be selfish or not allowing you to be um, putting yourself first? Right. You know, th those types of things. So then you need to, there's normally always forgiveness in our past in relationship of some sort, whether it be with a parent or a grandparent, uncle, cousin, sister, sibling, something that we have to forgive and let go of in order to move forward into a, um, a relationship, a love connection relationship. Oh, yes. Uh, I, yeah, hundred percent. I, I know for me, uh, the last two years, that's a lot of what I did is, mm -hmm. is really, coming to understand that I had some deep seated, uh, resentment, disappointment, whatever, mm -hmm. various things over just certain issues from, from my, my past. And, and like I said, I was, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any, and I, my heart just aches for people that had situations where like there was abuse. I mean, like something, you know, sexual abuse, especially or physical abuse or even verbal abuse for that matter. Um, but what's wild is, is, is I think, well, well, for example, okay. So someone like myself who was raised in all intents and purposes, I had a great home life, right? Like it, generally speaking, I always had two parents in the home. They were loving, they were caring, you know, they, they went to my games, they supported my, my, you know, various things that I did as a kid. I mean, I had that. Mm -hmm. And that sounds perfect. But then if I say, okay, well, let me, let me share a little bit more detail. And then what do you think? So, you know, my mom was pregnant at 15, had me at 16. Clearly we lived with her folks, my grandparents. Um, and then she got married to that, my biological father that lasted a couple of years. Then she remarried someone else and then had my sister. And then that didn't only lasted a couple of years. He was abusive uh, or just, you know, verbally to my mom and all that and, and a little bit to me, but not, not terrible. Um, and then that didn't work out divorced him and then remarried the the third guy. So by this time I'm seven. Wow. So yeah. at seven, then mm -hmm. my, who I call fa my father, my father, um, you know, ad ended up adopting me and literally from my seventh birthday on 
for the most part, outside of the dogmatic, fundamental, right-wing, conservative, religious issues, which we'll mm. talk about that for sure, yeah. out, outside of that abuse, <laughs> and I don't mean, ab- yeah. I mean, you know what I mean, like just religion yeah. is abusive. My parents weren't, but, um, you know, because that's all they knew. Anyway, but when, yeah. by the time seven on, until I left home at 19, I had very loving parents, like mm-hmm. loving and active and wonderful. So Mm -hmm. I think even in their minds, and I have not talked super in depth to my parents about some of this, but you know, they dismiss my first seven years. And I think they dismiss it because my mom loved me. I mean, you know, she was like, she was a 16 year old little mom, right? A teenage mother. And she did love me the best that she knew how as a 16 year old, you know, so she had that emotion of, she would have given her life for me. And still to this day, she would, Mm -hmm. but it's like, still, if you really step back, you know, like my counselor had a lot to say about what I just said, Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it created some, some things that, that I had. I wrestled with now later in my life. I've worked through them now and thank God mm-hmm. I've worked mm-hmm. through them, but I'm 52 now. So <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, normally what happens. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, yeah. I ended up working through those things later in life, which is wild. It's made me love my parents more and just appreciate, you mm-hmm. know, cause I don't blame them as much as just that, that they did the best that they could with where they were. Exactly. But exactly. again, yeah. they, they just don't, they, yeah, they just, they, it's almost like my first seven years just didn't exist, right, kind of. Right. And so, so since from seven on, I had a perfect life, then it was perfect. <laughs> can I ask you a question? Sure. So I love that you talked about all the great things that was happening. And I, I'm curious to know what was missing. Yeah. So I think for me, when I think was what was missing and I'll, and I'll tell you my grandparents. So my, my mom's parents, um, who have since both passed, they really jumped in, you know, like they really jumped in because obviously she was 16. So she lived at home. (laughs) So they really jumped in and I, I felt very loved by them, but I think what I was missing was that one father figure that like, you know what I mean? Like a, a one dad. And it was like, I, I had this dad and then I, of course, you know, I was two. So, you know, whatever, but I mean, I know there's a lot of subconscious stuff there. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, boom, I'm three, three years old and there's a, another guy. And then I'm, you know, five or six and then there are seven and there's another guy. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I, I think maybe it was the consistency Maybe I felt, um, I didn't feel, I think, well, I don't think I know. I didn't feel safe, um, because Mm, things were mm -hmm. changing so much. And again, you know, parents don't think about this shit. Like they don't think about this stuff. Right. And so like parents will say, uh, well, you know, it's it's just, it was just a divorce. It didn't affect the kids at all. I'm like, you're a fucking moron. Of course it affected the kids. You idiot. Even when it's an amicable divorce, even in my divorce, the kids were adults and it was still, it was very amicable. And yet 
you know, it was hard on both the kids. But anyway, so back to my situation. Yeah, I think that they they just never understood, you know, that here I was, this little boy that went through two divorces, you know, three dads moving all the fucking time. Like I, I that's the one thing that I realize why when I buy a car. I will literally Shay. I will keep that car forever. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard for me to, and I, and I've realized where that comes from. Like the last car I had, I had it for 11 years. It had 450,000 miles on it. And oh, I literally, wow. I would have never got rid of it. I literally would have kept that car forever. If it wouldn't have just been starting to need it, you know, things, whatever. And so I don't know if that's because in my childhood, I went from this apartment to this duplex to that apartment mm. to another duplex to a home. Then I went to another home, and then we were roommates with the, my grandparents, and then we moved to there, and then we had this apartment, and then we re- we were in the basement of my my mm-hmm. grandpa's place. You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now yeah. stayed I mean, in the same city. You know, we were in Overland Park. I mean, so yeah. we stayed in the when I was a baby, which that that's a, I think a little immaterial, but we lived in I think. Salina, not Salina, but uh, anyway, we, there was a little bit of moving around. But mm-hmm. once we were in Kansas City, I was pretty young, like two or three. We just bounced around in Kansas City. And even that is something that people would think, well, that's no big deal. We just moved around. Like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So um, may, may uh, do I have your permission to share? Well, of course. Coach me. Okay. <laughs> well, it's not really coaching. It was just my observation. Um, so this book, um, what happened to me really, and I knew this from before, but it's just so instrumental to really drive the point in, in those first two years of life, our brain is, um, picking up cues. Even in the womb, our brain is picking up cues. Okay. Yeah. So if your 16 year old mother, and this goes for anyone's mother, not just a 16 year old mother, because my mother was I'm pretty sure guilty of this too. Um, if they are the mother is because you've already, you're used as a baby in the womb, you're used to hearing them. You're used to already being attached to them and being nurtured by them. That now that they're, you're out of the body as a baby and they're not nurturing you and someone else is nurturing you, there's a huge disconnect. And then if there's more, like um, you said about the, the, the moving around, what immediately came, showed up for me was uh, safety, security, uh, a sense of belonging, because you probably get to a neighborhood and then you become attached to your things because you probably lost some things right. along the way that you loved. And you were like, oh, but this I can, it feels like home to me. Like this, I can, I like, let's just pretend as a kid, a teddy bear, right? So you're holding onto this teddy bear, like, oh, this was mine. It shows me love. So it's like, now you get a car, a possession, and you're like, oh, I can't. This is home to me. This is feels, I'm comforted by owning this. <laughs> Shay, you're right on. There's a couple, so <laughs> I can't even <laughs> believe I'm going to admit this on this podcast. People, don't judge me. So I... <laughs> I don't know if I should mention that. I have a blankie. Uh-huh. And I <laughs> when I travel, 
I take the blanket with me. Yeah. Always. It's I it it's my blanket. It's the yeah. it's I take it with me everywhere I go. I've had it for I don't even know how long I've had it. But mm-hmm. yes, what you just said is true. There there mm-hmm. where I, I I live on the plaza, I live in a really cute little apartment. It's nothing like mm-hmm. most I mean it's not impressive at all. Um I mean it is impressive but it's not. It's not like people are going to get tours. It's not going to be in better homes and garden for apartments in Kansas City like oh my gosh this is a dope ass <laughs> place. I mean it's a small little 675 square foot apartment but it's on the plaza. It's, it's cute, it's quaint. I can't tell I I literally told someone the other day. I said even if I get married or when I get married because I will get married eventually. Like if we don't live here which is fine, I I'm keeping this place. This will always be my office. It will always mm. be a retreat. It'll all this. I am never getting rid of this apartment. Mm-hmm. Now I say never, right? Something could change. I'm sure. But I have every intention of literally having this place for the rest of my life. Well, yeah, it's comfort of home. Right. So you have recreated over and over again, the comfort of home, right? Whether it be with your blankie, with your car, now with this apartment. <laughs> Timmy has a blankie. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's which, what the title of this podcast way, should be. Timmy has a blankie. Which, which, there you go. Which, by the way, is um, very common. It might not be a physical blankie. It might be a stuffed animal from childhood. It might be a book. It might be a, a wall hanging. Anything that reminds you of some sort of your childhood. Hmm. That is comforting. It could be a piece of jewelry. Uh, I, literally, it's a lot of different. We all have them. They're called uh, mementos, or you know, we're we keep um, you know things that are sentimental to us. Yeah, we all have something. Yours just happens to be um, a, you like you call it a blankie. Yeah, but wow. I for a long time I had a stuffed animal, and it was a uh, Humpty Dumpty. Do you remember Humpty? Oh Dumpty, yes. the, the nursery rhyme. Yeah. Yep. So it was just a, an oval egg, but the print was on it, like an oval pillow, right? And um, it was stuffed full of stuffing. And I've had that, I don't know, up until probably I was about eight or nine or 10. And it fell apart, like literally fell apart multiple times and the stuffing fell out. So my mom would take old um, pantyhose that had runs in them and would stuff it with that. And I, I would I, literally, I couldn't sleep without it. I took it with me to slumber parties and everything <laughs> because even till I was probably 10 years old, because for me, that was my comfort thing. Yeah. Now I hold on to, uh, as a single person, I don't have a person to hold on to one day. I will. Um, I hold on to uh, pillows when I sleep because yeah. it's comforting. It's security. Yeah. When you're not waking up in the, as a, as a infant baby, newborn feeling secure then you find it in other things. Yeah, that's 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 a fascinating thing. I know I have um I've so I've become a minimalist since mm-hmm. since becoming divorced, which I'll tell you, that's one of the reasons that divorce was so hard for me was not and my, and my ex is a wonderful woman, like literally, she really is a wonderful woman. Um but when I but but you know, having a quote-unquote home and then not, you know, I remember, I remember the day I walked out with my suitcase, holy moly, I've never experienced so much sadness, uh, mm-hmm. and grief. I, I like, I was overwhelmed with sadness and grief. And 
you know, now two years later, um, you know, you know, d d time doesn't heal all wounds, but of course, if you do the right things in that time, you, you can be healed and, and work through stuff. And so, you know, all the counseling and all the therapy and the books and all the work I've been doing is, has, uh, just really got me to a super good place. I'm super happy, but about a year after the divorce, so I'm two years out now, but about a year after I was cleaning. So, uh, you know, when you get divorced, you know, you split up certain things and, and I was given the, uh, silverware and, uh, plates and whatever that, whatever you call that stuff, the China, whatever that is, I was given that set that we were given for our wedding. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a really nice little set, you know, it's eight plates, eight, you know, eight saucers, eight coffee cups, you know, it's like that. It's a whole set. Mm -hmm. Well, I know, uh, so that's, that was what I took. And about a year after I had moved out, I was cleaning one of the dishes and I dropped it mm. <laughs> and it broke Shay. Oh my gosh. I mean, it makes me almost emotional now just thinking about it. Yeah. I started bawling. Yeah. I was so yeah. like, yeah, I glued it all back together. Mm -hmm. Crying. Like I glued it all back together mm -hmm. and went straightway, went online to find it, to find that like a replacement. Mm -hmm. and ended up, I, I was going to have to buy the whole set and I just couldn't buy one. And I was like, ah, and I was, you know, then I, after a couple of days, I kind of, you know, I of course calmed down and it was fine. Um, but yeah, that was just a very unique experience, you know, for me to, to, but I guess it was almost like, you know, my marriage broke. <laughs> and mm. so I mean, it was just yeah. like, for me, that's how I looked at it as it was like a visible sign of, you know, here's this wedding gift. And mm. yeah, it just, yeah. Anyway, it, I don't need to get into that, but it, it mm. what you're saying is, is so true in my life. And I've always wondered why, like why, like this particular China, China set, <laughs> I, I'm going to keep it forever. Like, I mean, I'm not, I have no intentions of ever having any other plates except, you know, when I get married, I mean, obviously, and she'll have plates and stuff that she doesn't want to get rid of. And, and I would never, and I think I'm so uh, sympathetic or empathetic to this kind of a thing mm -hmm. that, you yeah. know, the person that I meet, if they have something that is, that they cherish, like, yes, keep it, cherish it. I'll cherish it with you. Like we'll cherish it together. <laughs> and I don't care if yeah. it was a gift from your ex. Like, I really don't like, I'm, I'm just over all that kind of bullshit. Like I, I'm just over that. Yeah. And so even if it was like a ring, like if it was like, well, this mm -hmm. is my original wedding ring and I really, really loved it. We, you know, and I want to keep it. I'd be like, okay. I mean, like it, that doesn't bother me at all. And it wouldn't even bother me if they, they were like, Hey, I'd like to use this as my wedding ring. And I'd be like, okay. I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just not, I don't get weird about that kind of stuff. And, but I think it might be reflective of what, you know, the way I am maybe. Yeah. Well, it's because it's not about the material item itself. It's about the, the, relationship that person has with it and just like the relationship or that you have with these the plates yeah right it, it's it's like you said sentimental so it's a huge uh you know spot in your heart for it it's beautiful yeah i think um you know I, I, more people need to be uh accepting of people's uh what do you call that I, w I wouldn't say nuance, but, you know, 
people's um, things that they're attached. Yeah. Unique things that they're attached to. Yeah. Emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. The, the podcast that I did, uh, last week or the week before, uh, Lance and I, um, talked a lot about, um, giving people room and grace and space and 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 holding, and I know that's a, that's a cliche word to say, you know, holding space for people, but there's something, of course, in the Christian world, that's a, that's a common phrase being gracious or whatever. But I, I, I don't think, you know, it's weird. It's like, we'll extend grace to someone that does what we want them to do, or they'll do what we want them to do. And what I'm learning in my journey as of late is giving people grace for what they do, whether it's something that I like or not. And with no intention of trying to change them. In other words, this is, this is how they are. That's why it's so important that when you're dating, if, if you're dating a home buddy, don't try and change them or shame them to Mm -hmm. not be a home buddy. They are a home buddy. And if that brings them comfort now, if they're a home buddy because they're depressed and scared and well, then that's a whole nother issue. But even then I would say, well, then if they're just, I mean, for me, like that just wouldn't be like, I can't be in a relationship with someone that doesn't want to leave the house. So mm-hmm, uh, you know, I wouldn't, right. even, I wouldn't even attempt that, but you know, just giving people grace and space to be who they are, uh, is such a big deal. You know, when you, when you get into a relationship, it is as is. So if you yeah. don't love them, as they are, as if they would never, ever, ever change, then they're not your person. Right. Yeah. Um, can I speak to that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I love this point because uh, I've seen the meme multiple times that women get into relationships to change the man, not to be in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was, when I first heard that, like, oh, you were trying to change him. I was like, I was not trying to change him. Are you kidding me? I was trying to help him. And then as That's soon as I spin. said the word, <laughs> yeah, as soon as I said the word, I was like, oh, wait, what? I was trying to what? Oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. That's exactly. Oh my God. That's exactly what I was trying to do. I was trying to help him change. And it's all uh, good intentions, right? It comes from a good place. And what we, uh, what I have learned in um, Al-Anon and other codependency books and alcohol is an anonymous myself, so all kinds of things, is that exactly spot on what you said, uh, Timmy, is that they are who they are. And when you want them to be something else, if you can't have that conversation, then, and maybe it's not even that you want them, but if they're not willing to practice being that other thing because it's not going to be correct the first time or maybe even thousand time then that maybe is not the person that you need to be with in a relationship but if they're willing to work on what it is that you bring to them just like if you're willing to work on what they bring to you then great it's a relationship that can move forward right but so oftentimes we get into it because we're like oh i just i just wanted to help him so much i just have been um you know, one of my girlfriends had been just out of a new relationship and there was quite a, there was like eight years age difference and he was younger. And she was like, I just was waiting for him to blank. And I said, if you're waiting for them to blank and fill in the blank, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so you yeah. have to accept them for who they are now. 
And that's such a beautiful thing in a relationship. Whenever you just say, I love you and every unique part of you, you know, just, yeah, just really, really, I find it beautiful when people just accept people. Now, granted, yes, everyone on planet earth, even those that are extremely healthy need to continue to grow and develop. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lifelong thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but just but, giving people space. I, 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 I yeah, I, I love being given space and I really am hoping that I'm that way and endeavoring to be more that way. Yeah. Have you found, um, that people want to, that aren't willing to change? Have you found that there's a lot of people out there that are not willing to change in relationships? Uh, yes, I feel like people are, well, this is me. This is the way I am. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Yeah. In other words, they're not, um, yeah, they're, they're not looking to, they might say, well, yeah, I want to improve, but folks. So for example, I, I play tennis. There's one like you can play tennis and you can kind of, you know, the more you play, you, you know, you're working on certain things. So that's one level, but then there's like, no, listen, I'm not winning all my games. So clearly I'm not at my best yet. Like I can be better. And so you hire a coach or you, you know, a therapist, mm. whatever, someone to yeah. help give you feedback and to critique because you've paid them to critique your serve, critique your backhand, critique it, like really get fine tuned. That's the level that not a lot of people get to. I think a lot of people are they're, they're out there they're out there playing tennis, but you know, five years before they were playing tennis at the same level that they're pay, playing it now. Now I realize, just like anything, you get you can hit a plateau and it doesn't matter who's training you. I mean, you get to a certain point where it's like, this is just where I'm at. I'm not going to go pro. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't grow up playing. You know, 24 hours a day. So whatever, but. You know what I'm saying? Like I've played mm -hmm. tennis and like for me personally, I was really into tennis for years and I got, I got really good. And then I literally that, that good is now 20 years later. I'm about that same, you know, I'm, I'm still good, <laughs> but I haven't gotten any better. Why? Well, because I stopped really learning and really committing myself to getting mm -hmm. better. I just, I still play, you know, and I find people at my level and I continue to still play. Yeah, does that make sense? Is that a good yes, analogy I, of, of absolutely? And I love that you use the word commit. Yeah. Because for like you and I, and a lot of people that we, you know, we're friends with and we know is that we're committed to our growth and our learning journey. And there are a lot of people to committed to not change. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, I'm, I'm wondering why I, I think it goes back to something Tony Robbins has said when the, when the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing, I'm sure mm -hmm. I just fucked that comment up, but I, I think you get the gist of it. it mm -hmm. He said, it's this pain threshold. It's like, like the, when the pain of being overweight is greater than the pain of getting your ass to the gym and changing your diet, you're going to stay overweight. Are you, you know what I mean? When the pain yeah. is greater to stay overweight, then you'll be like, 
I can't do this anymore. I'm willing to go through the pain of losing weight because the pain of being overweight is unbearable. Yeah. Does that make sense? I totally agree. Yeah. So I, I think it's the same thing, 100%. like in relationships, you know, mm -hmm. if, uh, like I don't, well, uh, my, my co-host Lance, he's talked about it very openly. He said it was, he changed more from his, uh, second divorce than he did from his first. He has talked about that it was after his second divorce is where he really learned because he said he, you know, he was the common denominator. He said, at the, you know, at the end of the first divorce, mm -hmm. it was, you know, mm -hmm. it's easy to blame, you know, it's easy to blame. Mm -hmm. And he said he did take some ownership, but he said it was the second divorce that revealed the same issues. And he's like, hmm, there's only one person that's the same person in this other relationship. And that's me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he said, so it was after the second failed marriage that he became fully self-aware and really mm -hmm. committed himself because it was painful back to what, you know, Tony Robbins had said, mm -hmm. it's the pain of these divorce divorces became so great that he could no longer blame others. He had to look within, mm -hmm. he had to go, you know what? I need to make a change. Otherwise I'm going to go through a third and fourth and fifth and sixth marriage. If I don't figure my shit out. Yeah. So true. And, you know, it's funny. I was just um, with my brother recently, my older brother. And so he's in his 50s and he's um, in this long term relationship now after two divorces and she has two divorces. And so I said to him and I had just saw him at Christmas, but for some reason he's I've noticed a shift in him. And I said, I've noticed that you have more patience. And he said, no, I don't. I go, no, really. I, I have noticed that you have more patience. And it's a long story how the conversation went. But the gist of it is, is that we were talking about, like, when did you, who didn't have patience with you when you were growing up? And he was like, well, dad, our dad didn't have patience with him. And it was like, okay, so can you go back to that, an incident in that, that little boy needed to learn patience? And you, can you show it to him as who you are today? And, you know, oh. all the, so much of who we are in relationship is today is just those little kids trying to get the needs they needed back then. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, um, you know, when people talk about, um, healing your inner child, <laughs> mm -hmm. or inner child, yeah. there, I'll be honest. I would have been, oh brother, that's goofy. That would have been my early, <laughs> right? Early, I mean, honestly, yeah. I'd be like, oh, bro. Yeah. I'm my own free agent now. I do what I want, think what I want. I'm a product of my own deal. And then when you realize that you're not, uh, talk about a day of reckoning and a, and a day mm. of, of when the, when we talk about like enlightenment, to me, yes. that's, that's enlightenment when we can really go, okay. I am definitely a product of my environment, a product of my parents, a product of my friends, a product of my surroundings. Mm -hmm. hmm. And there are some things that I don't like about my life. Uh, I guess I'm pretty much the only one that's in charge of making the change. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, that's really great. Really great. Cause I think that's the other thing is that people don't realize that they're the response. They have to take responsibility for that change. Yeah. They're like, oh, I'll just join a gym or, oh, I'll do this or, oh, I'll do that. And it's great. All these things are great. And yet you have to be willing to take the responsibility and go, okay, dive a little bit deeper. 
just by going and doing something, you have to do the inner work. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. So can I switch gears a little bit? <laughs> uh, please. Of course. Um, Your show. <laughs> I'm taking it over. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so What's your spiritual background? I I, mm. I feel like we've talked about some of the religious spiritual stuff, but uh, uh, yeah. refresh my memory, kind of what, what's been your journey? Yeah, so uh, I love this question. So I grew up in a church, non-denominational, but very traditional church mm. for my whole childhood from like, you know, I went to church from birth to senior year in high school. And when I was between the age of eight and 10, somewhere in those probably even younger, maybe six to seven, I would say. I had a enlightening moment happen to me when I was at church. I was sitting in um, folding chairs in the back, listening to the sermon. And we were in Sunday school, not church church. We were in Sunday school and they were teaching us the Easter story. And the Easter, uh, they came to the point where they were telling us about how Jesus was, you know, taken to the cross on a donkey and, and, and I think somebody asked, or they told us that who was pulling the donkey and it was like, oh, religious people. And it was as if all of a sudden that there was a person, God in a person form sitting next to me, even though it wasn't an actual person, but I heard this voice say to me, religious people like killed Jesus be like Jesus and love everyone, be spiritual, not religious. Yeah. And at that stage of my life and, you know, li literally a little kid, I was going around telling people like, I don't believe in organized religion. I don't believe in organized religion. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure all the adults were like, okay, you little kid, I don't even know what you're talking about, but, <laughs> for, but it made so much sense to me. And it still makes sense to me. Like, if I want to, well, Jesus was, you know, Jewish and all of a sudden now he's Christian, right? It's like, okay, well, how does that, does that really make sense? Or is it the fact that he was able to choose something different or that he was able to just love everyone? Where, who did he hang out with? He hung out with his 12 disciples and he, and all the sick and wounded people. Right. Yeah, so, that definitely resonates with me. Right. Yeah, because I think we've talked about that before. And it's just such a a mindset shift when you stop focusing on the quote unquote Christianity of religion and start focusing on the spiritual relationship that you have with God rather than the um, religiosity around it. Yeah, that's that's been uh, yet when we have now that you said that, I remember you actually told me this story. I that was one of the biggest, um, when people, you know, ask, well, man, you know, you were an evangelical pastor. What happened? You know? Mm, <laughs> what? Yeah. And, and that the shift or the, I, I say I evolved, whatever it, mm -hmm. um, there was just something in my heart. I could not accept that everyone other than Christians were going to hell. Like I, I just couldn't, <laughs> you know, then again, I was the certain, the, the uh, group I was a part of was very conservative. Mm -hmm. So I realized that not all Christians have this same theology. I've come mm -hmm. to under, I've come to understand there's a lot. I've kind of come full circle. You know, I kind of got away. I was like, Christianity sucks. And you know, and then I'm like, 
all the way back around going, okay, you know, <laughs> there's good Christians too. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm not so negative about it. Um, but in the particular group that I was in, it, they just taught that, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. And I said, well, what if you're, you know, a kind, caring, loving Buddhist? Well, it doesn't matter if you're not a Christian, you're going to hell. And I was like, something seems fucked up about that. Like that does not resonate in my heart as the way God is. Right. And so for me, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So let me, let me, let me just get this. Let me wrap my head around this. And I remember thinking this as a little kid going, let me wrap my head around this. So if your God is right and the Buddhist thinks their God is right and the Muslim think their God is right and the Hindu think their God is right. Who is the actual one to say that their God is right? Right. <laughs> like, who's the grand poopaw of that God, right? Of all yeah. the gods. It's, it's the like, Bible, Shay. The Bible tells us who's the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, the Bible was written by men. Just FYI. Better were white. <laughs> probably white men right right i mean that's the that's the part that's so that my mind you know it's it's wild when i talk to a conservative christian they'll say well you know the bible says i'm like oh my gosh you you say that like god himself wrote it and everybody knows that's not the case like everybody knows this it's it, this isn't like something that's like oh really what no everybody knows this they talked about it in my seminary when i where i went to seminary they talked about mm. it that, that it was written by men well yeah but it was inspired by god just read mm. if you ever read the bible like if you read it all the way through trust me there's some fucked up crazy ass shit in there mm-hmm. there is like it just mm-hmm. is like if you it, only if you've read it do you know that and of course, mm-hmm. then you get into the picking and choosing and well, you know, that was old Testament God's different now, or, well, you know, that it's, it, it's the, the backflips and the gymnastics that you would have to, I had to perform and to make sense of a good question that when a visitor would come to my church, that wasn't a typical church person, then they would ask me that, that kind of a question, the gymnastics and the backflips and the tricks that I had to perform in order to make something that the Bible said not sound so fucking ridiculous. It was Mm -hmm. crazy. It was crazy. You know, I, I just, that, that just brings me to the point that for me, the Bible first chapter for Genesis in Genesis, he talks about, and I'm getting out my Bible because I am not a versy person. <laughs> uh, getting well, out my Bible. The fact that you have it close enough to be able to grab it is impressive. Well, it was on my phone, and I'm, and it was in my phone was in my hand. But I just want to, I just want to, and I don't even know if I can quote it. But basically, that the thing because I, I'm not versy. Well, the thing for me was that God created everything everything so even the muslim even the the gods that they you know believe in even the hindu and all the gods that they believe in and he created everything or she created everything god created everything he didn't even have a pronoun right until later and then it went to he well of course because men wrote it like you said (laughs) of course god (laughs) is a he (laughs) yeah oh my gosh so yeah it's fascinating when you really break it down that way rather than the the way of well this is how it is now i will say the new 
Testament, I believe people like had accounts of it and wrote it. Right. Like I get that that was probably there and they were writing it down. I get that. And the Old Testament, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somebody made that up. Right. Like, right. oh, you weren't. How do you know you were Were you there? Like, come on. <laughs> right. And even yeah. in the New Testament. And again, I, you know, I learned all this in Bible college. And it just, and what's wild is people ask me, when did my thoughts started really changing? And I, I was like, Bible college. Right. Like, literally, because oh, I was sure. learning stuff and I'm like, wait, the New Testament, this this was written a hundred years after Jesus. Like what? Right. And we think right. they got it accurate, like right on exact, like, oh my goodness gracious. Like, I mean, just the, like, I can't hardly remember what I did last week to write it with any kind of perfect detail. Right. But again, uh, you know, people just go back to, well, the Bible says that God inspired da, 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 da. And it's like, yeah, if you think about that, when Jesus was referencing the Bible, hello, clearly he wasn't referencing the New Testament. Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't even out yet. No. It didn't come until hundreds of years after Jesus. So when Jesus and, is talking about inspired stuff, like it's talking about the first five books of the Bible, actually. Anyway, mm -hmm. that's getting. But, but uh, just to go a little bit further, like how do we know that the men that wrote it didn't have an agenda? Saying, yeah, Jesus referenced the Bible. Jesus referenced the Jewish Bible exactly. or the Torah or whatever they were exactly. reading. Exactly. And all of this is from different people's perspective. So when you read it, you get to take your own perspective from it. Yep. As a guide. It's a living, breathing. Uh, and I actually do believe this. I believe that it can be like a living, breathing document. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So when people say, well, the Bible says like, well, you know, ask, ask 10 scholars what that verse means and you'll get 10 different things. Uh, right. So right. When, when Christians think that they have the proper interpretation, I'm just like, that is the most ignorant thing I've ever heard. One of the most mm -hmm. ignorant things I've ever heard in my life is that you little old you think that you have it properly interpreted and figured mm -hmm. out after mm -hmm. thousands of years of translations and changes and updates and copies and really and you got it huh mm -hmm. that's fascinating cool <laughs> you should write a book <laughs> you should write a book i know exactly what the bible means mm -hmm. but anyway so that's fascinating. Yeah, that's that's a that's been a, a unique uh, journey, and and kind of bringing this back into the topic that we talked about at first. I think uh, in the dating world, how important do you find when we talk about compatibility? Because I get mm -hmm. this question a lot from clients. They'll say, you know, is it you know I'm a Christian. Does it really matter if I find someone that is a Christian or not? And I and so here's my answer. And I'm curious along this same lines when it comes to compatibility, what your advice is or what your thoughts are, even for your own life. But mm -hmm. I often say, well, I mean, if it's important to you, then probably it would be important for you to find someone that also shares that as important to them. Mm -hmm. In other words, if, if you're really religious, you know, I would say then you probably need to find someone who's religious. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're open-minded, I think you should find someone open-minded. If you're 
that's just me though, because I, it, because if something's so important to you, it'll be hard for you not to criticize or critique your partner that they're lacking. You know, if you're super committed and yes. going to church and they're not, that'll be a point of contention. I think, unless you just can really let go of it and allow someone to not be committed to something that you're committed to. Anyway, what do you think about that? Well, I, I, completely agree with you 100% and I will also say this that you know I have I have friends that one is Jewish one is Christian and they celebrate both so they have discussed before they got married that they're going to she's good she converted to Christian or converted to Judaism but then she also said I'm going to do this for the children and then I will I will still honor Jesus, I will still honor my God. I will still honor my church, right? Yeah. And so they were under the understanding. And I think that's where communication just is so crucial is to really be able to communicate what it is that you need and want and expect from the other person because you can't expect another person to follow what you follow if you haven't had that conversation, if you haven't yeah. had that clarity with them. And so they were really great about saying this is, what I want to do, I want to do, and let's bring the two together. Let's have a Christmas tree. Let's have a, 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 a Hanukkah candle, the Hanukkah candles, you know, as it a menorah. And yeah, yep. um, yeah. And so, and they'll go, okay, we go to the, the um, temple on some days. Sometimes we go to church, some, you know, and, and it works That's and cool. it can work. So for me, do um i would love to have somebody you know to just be able to pray with me yeah. pray with me and for me like it's not about you want to read the bible great read the bible but if you just were willing to pray <laughs> and along all the other things i would like but pray is like huge for me do i do you have to read the bible no but if you are willing to pray yes yeah 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 that's that's um in, in my personal dating life, I, you know, I had someone say, you know, why don't you do, why don't you do like Christian uh, mingle or, you know, Christian. And I was like, <laughs> I said, you know, I couldn't be with a, like a right wing fundamental conservative mm -hmm. Christian. Yeah. Like I, I just couldn't, I, I, I just couldn't do it. Uh, so I was like, yeah, that's why. And not that maybe, maybe there are Christian single people on there that aren't super conservative maybe but the fact that that i would think that that would lean and cater to that you know if you're if you're on a christian specific uh, single site i would be shocked if <laughs> unless there's just posers in there <laughs> i'd be shocked yeah. if someone's not th that it's a big deal to them um but spiritual now, if they were a Christian and very open-minded, you know, like you are, like if they were like, you're kind of a Christian where they're like, oh yeah, I love Jesus. I'm, you know, this and that and the other, but I also love and believe Buddha is awesome and Hindu. Like, I, I think they're all good in their own way. I'm down for that. Uh, but if you're one of the Christians that believe, you know, this is the only way, then that, that wouldn't work for me. And the other, you know, the wild thing is someone asked me the other day, they said, would you, could you be with an atheist? And I was like, you know, uh, it depend. It really would depend, you know, if they're mm -hmm. a very open-minded and supportive, loving, kind, compassionate atheist, 
I think I actually could. Um, I definitely could be with an agnostic because I think it, if we're on, I, at least how I would say this, I think if we're honest, every human being is an agnostic. Really. So what is the difference between agnostic and atheist? So agnostic means maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Because the, to me, I feel like genuinely the truth is I don't, I believe in God. I you know believe in Jesus, all this stuff, but I don't, I can't prove it. So therefore I don't know it. Like I, I would know mm. like a scientific knowing, you know what I mean? Like a proved yeah. kind of an, so when I say that, it's like, no, that's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of mm -hmm. fact. It's a matter of faith. Yeah. So I guess in a way I'd be an agnostic Christian probably meaning this is what I believe, but if it was somehow proven that it's absolutely not true and it was a myth, I, it like, I'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> so I'm still going to live by the principles. So then, but an atheist is there is no God. Mm. And so yeah, that would be that a little be. challenging, but I, I think it depends on what kind of atheist they were. It would, well, my, one of my friends, he's, he's atheist. Matter of fact, he's got a podcast with like 500,000 followers and his, <laughs> his wife is Christian. Ah. but she, but she's very open and she's like, well, I mean, that's just, you know, it's his journey. And, and he's the same way. He's like, oh, he goes, no, I love that. She's a Christian. I, you know, she believes it and that's fine. I don't. And I'm like, oh, wow. That's cool. Well, then it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about accepting who they are and where they are rather than trying to change them. Right? Yeah. yeah. For me, I, I, I think for me, it would be more about the agnostic. I would probably be okay with, but again, it goes back to the prayer so if they're atheists, they're not going to be willing to pray. Right. Um, however, I will <laughs> say. Real quick, I'm sorry. I'm a, Have you heard of the 1-800-Atheist? Uh, no. Yeah. You no. call it no one answers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I love it. I, I will say I've had, um, I, I'm a, I, I say, like, I throw words around a lot. Like, I will say, oh, thank God that happened. Oh, thank God this, thank God that. And I had um, one of my clients, I would say that, and they would say, there is no God. Why don't you stop saying that? And I was like, wow, I didn't even realize how often I say it. So if they were going to be like that, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> right, right. Right. So they're going to be judgmental and critical because of my beliefs. But yet they're judgmental and critical anyway, then that, that's not going to work for me. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I've often said this. I have no problem with an atheist that says, yeah, I don't believe there's a God, but I mean, I could be wrong like that. that I'm open to because I'm like, well, I believe in God, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. You know, I mean, uh, the reality, I mean, I, maybe it's semantics, but I just really feel like nobody knows now they can we can know in our heart i mean you know like i know by faith i believe with my, every fiber of my being but that doesn't make it true i mean there are people that you know strap bombs to their body and they believe with all their heart that if they blow up the infidel they're gonna have 70 virgins in heaven well they're gonna i mean i don't know that maybe that's true i doubt it right very highly doubt it um but there are people that believe it obviously mm -hmm. to the point of blowing themselves up. So, right. but does that make it true just because they believe it with every fiber of their being? No, what's yeah. true is true is true is true. doesn't matter what you believe. Uh, I know there's power and belief, power and faith. I, I get it. I mean, I, I, I believe all that stuff wholeheartedly, but me believing in God or not believing in God does not change whether God exists. 
You know what I'm saying? Like whether yes, you believe in yes, hell or believe in true. whether you believe in hell right. or don't believe in hell doesn't change whatever actually is, which is what I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Well, exactly. Like the world is flat or the world is round. It doesn't just because we believe one way or another doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. You can believe it's flat all you want. Right. We have pictures. It's a fucking right. sphere. So like, right. I, go ahead. Believe it's flat. It's not going to become flat. <laughs> right. Right. I always, I, you know, it's funny. I, uh, that's one of the most, I don't even know what to say about that, but it's one of the most moronic <laughs> beliefs out there. Right. I mean, I don't know if you've mm. ever gone down some of the rabbit holes of conspiracy theories, but over and during COVID I did, you know, go open the door to some of the crazy conspiracy theories out there. And it was like, wow, people believe that. Like literally they actually believe that unbelievable. Like that. Well, I mean, just like that, yeah, part. like that yeah. the earth is flat. Like really, like you really believe that after all the pictures and the cameras and the things that really. Yeah. COVID that was, had, was a perfect opportunity to do that. Cause I did the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and truthfully, you know, it's like, there might be, and I shouldn't say truthfully, there might be a, a small piece, not about there that's flat, but a small sure. piece uh, <laughs> that, that makes whatever conspiracy theory out there that was going on last year um, to be true. Right. A small piece. Right. So, you know, oh, come on, know. Shay, the government tells us the truth about everything. They're fully <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're not up to any shenanigans. Come on. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's no That's doubt. A whole other podcast. Oh, I know. Well, with the Snowden <laughs> thing, I mean, that that revealed a lot. So I mean, there I, I'm with you. I mean, some conspiracy theories. I mean, they're just so far out in left field. That yeah. They're totally crazy nuts, uh, like a flat earth type of a thing. But. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's some conspiracy theories. There might be a grain of truth in there somewhere. Um, or, or parts of it can lend to, to truth. Like for example, uh, you know, is there pedophilia? Well, of course there's pedophilia, you know, mm -hmm. are there probably some underground? Well, of course, duh. Yes. But is the entire Democratic Party the leaders of this underground pedophilia? Oh, my God. Really? Right. <laughs> like, that's a right-wing right. conspiracy theory to make the entire Democratic Party look evil. Like, oh, my gosh. Trump right. wasn't Satan, nor was he Jesus Christ. Biden's not <laughs> Hitler, nor is he Jesus Christ. You come on, people. Right. right. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, last year was really... It got disconcerting for me because I'm, I would, I don't know what the term is, but I'm, I guess, I don't know if you call me a moderate, meaning you, in other words, don't ask me if I'm Democrat or Republican. Fuck you. Don't ask me that Same. question because Same. I'm, yeah. you ask me about a policy or a thing and I'll answer it. Like, I'll tell you what I think. I think it's okay to own guns, but yet I think we should have higher minimum wage. I think it's a, you know, a woman's right to choose, but, uh, but I'm pro-life because I think it's a baby's life too. Like, like I'm. You just ask me and I'll tell you what I think, but don't try to align me with some kind of cultish political group. Amen. <laughs> preach it. Preach it to me. <laughs> and I don't know if we'll, I, I would hope it seems like there's, it seems like 
within the next five to 10 years, we could maybe get to a place where either a, there is no political party and you literally just vote policy. You, know, you just vote like, I like this guy or this girl because this, 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 and this, and this. And I would hope that we could get away from, you know, if you're a Democrat, it means this, 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 and this, and you can't veer outside of that. That is that I, I don't, I don't have words to, to express how ridiculous that is. That's the word I can come up with. That's just so ridiculous yeah. that, that you can't be, you can't believe certain things on the Republican side. And then you can also believe things on the democratic side. It's, it's so sad to me that it's become very cultish. And it's like, if you're a Democrat, mm -hmm. that means you believe these 10 things and that's all you can believe. Like, honestly, it reminds me of those religious days. Like if you're a Christian, that means that you have to believe these 10 things. If you don't, mm -hmm. you're not a Christian. It's like, you know what? Mm -hmm. Fuck you. I don't have to believe those 10 things to, to want to follow the message of Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like, anyway, uh, okay, I'm on my, I'm, I'm on my soapbox now. <laughs> But like you said, you're, you're, this you're is my fucking on. podcast. I'll say whatever the hell I want. <laughs> you're spot on. I'm right there with you. Oh my goodness. All right. So we're coming to the end here. What, uh, what, how can people get a hold of you if they want to hire you as a coach? How can they follow you? What's your information? And before we do that, I'm going to go to a short commercial break. We'll be right more, right back with more from Shea Sparks and how you can get in touch with her. Go. You can find shayspark.com. Um, my social media links are there. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm also on Clubhouse uh, at shaysparks. Um, let's see what else. You Do you have a fans see. only? Did you start a fans only during COVID? <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. Um, I that people lots of money for my pretty feet. So you never know. Um, <laughs> I do. Uh, I love connecting with people. So if they want to email me directly, they can email me at Hey Shay. That's H E Y S H A at shaysparks.com. And shaysparks is S H A S P A R K S.com. Cool. Well, Shay, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Whenever I was driving Uber, you would, you were always so sweet to message me first and say, Hey, do you want to take me to the airport? Are you still driving for Uber? And I'm like, yes. So I really appreciate those, those trips during that time. Uh, I think that was right after my divorce, but anyway, uh, driving Uber was a, a fascinating thing. And it was definitely something that was good for me to do to stay busy after my divorce so that I didn't, because my job offers a lot of freedom. People always wonder why does Timmy do so many things? Well, one, I like to be busy, but also, you know, my main business as a wedding officiant keeps me busy on the weekends. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times during the week, uh, I have some you know, free time. So anyway, I started driving for Uber and then, you know, that's how you and I I felt like that's how we kind of really got more familiar with each other is, mm -hmm. you know, I was taking you to the airport all the time as you were traveling the world and going on your mm -hmm. book tour and doing all the other stuff that you've done, which is very impressive. I'm very impressed by you. Um, mm. and, and super, uh, like I, I really, and I say this to all my good friends or people that I, I, you know, come in contact with, you know, I wish for you and I, I hope for you, um, all the love that this world has to offer, all the success that this world has to offer, and that you know all your dreams will be realized in your lifetime. Well, I 
hope and wish the same for you to me as well. And I am so honored to call you my friend because I feel like that's what we've become over the years of all yes. of this. And um, you know, as I'm as we're talking, and it's I as you can tell, I'm like, well, gosh, we have so much to talk about, Timmy. Why aren't we hanging out more? I know, I know. <laughs> we we do need to. Um, but thank you yeah. for giving me the opportunity to be here. Awesome. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Peace.